0: I'm Todd Nathanson. And I'm Danny Roth. And t- today on Song vs. Song, we are going to do the Battle of the 80s Makeup-Wearing Sad Boys. We're doing This Charming Man by The Smiths
1: and Boys Don't Cry by The Cure. Uh, remind people who didn't... Uh, it's been a while. This is like one of the longer periods of time between episodes. Yeah. Uh, which song slash artist did you pick? I went with uh, This Charming Man because it is
0: one of my favorite songs. And, uh... I think you knew that, and you picked this one
1: on purpose to put me behind the eight ball. I Uh, swear. (laughs) You know what? That's actually not true. Um, I picked, so originally when we did this, I said Friday I'm in Love by The Cure. Yeah, and you called Naughtable right at the very end. And Uh, and you know what's interesting is that it's not because I prefer Boys Don't Cry. And point of fact, Friday I'm in Love is my favorite Cure song. It's it's probably my top five favorite songs, period. Mm Mm-hmm. You had pointed out that Friday, I Am In Love is kind of not, it's anachronistic in the sense that it's not an 80s song. I mean, this is actually not, this is also not an 80s song, technically. Oh,
0: yeah.
1: It's technically 1979, but it's more in line with um, the kind of music that The Cure was making at the time that the Smiths were making, The Charming Man.
0: Yeah, there's like about a five-year gap between them, but... Uh, they 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 they're that's a much better fit. Like that was like the cure's first big hit. This is the Smiths' first big hit. I think they'd released singles before them that didn't really go anywhere.
1: But. Yeah, I don't wanna I don't wanna call out people by name, but somebody said that these two songs were too obscure in the sense that not not in the sense of like in the echelons. Like I accept that maybe the people of the twenty first century um, if you were born in the year 2000, maybe these songs are not super well-known to you, but saying that these are obscure songs within the canon of these two bands. Wow. And that's, I respectfully, I completely disagree. These are probably, I mean, like, This Charming Man is probably the first Smith song I think of. It's that and Girlfriend in a Coma. Yeah, um, which is like their last single. Yeah, and I think of these as, uh, yeah, and I think of Boys Don't Cry pretty much immediately. It's probably one of the first two or three Smith songs, I think of. I understand that, you know, there are a couple other songs that are really big, but Boys Don't Cry is their first really big hit. Um, Mm -hmm. Probably the first one they felt comfortable um, referring to as a hit because their previous hit to that was uh, Killing an Arab. It, it, I, it's actually a really, I really like that song a lot, um, and it's a reference to um, a ca- Cam- Camus the Stranger. Yeah. yeah, it's it's
0: just literally the plot of Camus the Stranger.
1: Yeah, I- it's a great tune. Like if you go back and listen yeah. to it, it's really fun. But it usually doesn't wind up on. I don't think it's on any greatest hit album of theirs.
0: It's not on Spotify. Like
1: no, it's not. And it's really pretty interesting. We'll we'll talk about that more later. But uh, Boys Don't Cry is, I think, instantly recognizable. Uh, and I chose it. Based off of that, and also just that, I think I prefer Robert Smith in general to Morrissey, and that's a conversation we'll have. But oh, will we ever? <laughs> the, the, the the more I listen to the two songs back to back, the more I realize that I do, in fact, um, prefer "Boys Don't Cry" to This Charming Man." And that's you know, I mean, like this that, that's a that's a matter of taste. But uh, I want to do a thing that we haven't done in a little while, which is um, talk about any personal attachments that we might have to songs slash bands do you have any like do you have sort of like a sense of where uh the smiths hit you in your personal life or even the cure it doesn't really matter No, you know that's
0: a you know a funny thing uh you, you said like maybe it's obscure to people in the year two, 2019
1: uh, i think it's
0: both these songs are probably way more we've gotten way more votes for this than if we were doing this like in nineteen eighty four. Interesting. Yeah, because as Americans at the very least, because Cure, Cure eventually c- crossed over later in that decade, but the Smiths never did, and I only knew the Smiths because I was like really active on the music blogs, like at the time, back when that was a thing, and there, everyone was like raving about the Smiths, but like you wouldn't know the Smiths just as a person off the street, like you, it's something you had to be really digging into like the vinyl to to know. And uh, so I downloaded what everyone would agreed was their like best ever song, "How Soon Is Now." Yeah, great song. And I hated it. I wow, really? I was well. This was like early on. I was like fifteen. I was All I right. was not ready for "How Soon Is Now." I guess it just sounded like sludge to me. It just sounded like noise. But it, I, I, I didn't delete the MP3 from my, uh, from my collection. So eventually, I just kept listening to it. Till I was like, okay, okay, I kind of get it. I kind of get it. Maybe I'll check out some other stuff. And I think the. The first one I looked up was "This Charming Man," and I was like, "This is the greatest song
1: I've ever heard in my life." That it just hooked me right away. Yeah, I mean, Mars' guitar line is great. The bass line on it is really great. Um, that's it musically, sonically. Uh, it's cool. There's like a whole thing that they did to create certain sounds involving dropping like a fork on a guitar on top of another guitar. Yeah, all kind of weird stuff that they did. Fun experimental. Yeah, and I for the record, The Cure, I did
0: not need to be taught how to listen to. I was in The Cure right away. Like, it was like, this is the, I totally love this. I love everything about this band. Yeah, I mean, I, they had a lot more pop stuff you could, like, direct people to, like Friday, Night I'm in Love, and, uh, you know, Love Song, Just Like Heaven, and stuff like that. So it was a little more accessible to me. I They didn't start me off with, like, the really hard stuff, like their pornography album, which is, like, super dark goth that is not pop at all.
1: Yeah. It. So, I uh, Friday I'm in Love is the first Kearsong song I remember hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I was a kid. It was back, gosh, when I was growing up. I lived in a really tiny house as a mm-hmm. kid. Um, my parents wanted to live in, a, in an affluent area uh, in order to be able to send me to a good school uh, where I subsequently got beat up after school every day. Mm-hmm. By the way, that was great. Thanks, parents. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so, uh, we weren't actually wealthy at all. In fact, we were pretty um, poor relative to everybody else that I was around for the rest of my life, which is a whole other story. But um, I, l- my bed was right next to their bedroom growing mm-hmm. up. Like I was just right. Like I was in a hallway, and they were in the adjacent room. And so I would, in order to be able to sort of block out thinking about how close they were, I would put on the radio and listen to it on my headphones. And yeah. I listened to uh, the pop music station of the time uh, in the the tri-state New York, New Jersey, Connecticut area, Z100, which is still the pop station yeah, of the tri-state it area. It, yeah. it, it has been for my entire life, and um, or at least most of it, as long as I can remember, And that was the song that I always waited for. It was Friday, I'm in Love. I would listen to Z100 just waiting for them to play it again. Because I loved it so much. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was 1992. So I had an immediate attachment to that, to them as a band, or at least that song. It was just something about it that um, I thought it was just a well-constructed song. I thought that it, you know, as a sad kid, um, having something that made me feel happy, Mm -hmm. um, that was kind of nice. But... Uh, I didn't really come into the Smiths and the Cure as a full band until college. Yeah, that's that's something you have to be in college. Like I said, that you know, Friday I'm in Love is really
0: accessible even if you're a little kid. Yeah. but like that's something you need to be really up in your feelings.
1: But, but uh, 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 for me, it was really hard to choose between these two bands and these two songs because when I was in college, uh, I went to um, this local school. And uh, I met somebody there, uh, my friend Nami, who now has two kids, but like mm-hmm. at the time she was like this like enigma, she was this beautiful girl, she wore nothing but black, she smoked cigarettes, she knew everything, and she decided she wanted to be friends with me, and so we would drive around in between classes, and she would just play whatever music that she wanted to listen to, and so she would play... Uh, Depeche Mode and she would play uh, anything off of uh, Sarah Records which is like all these like little kind of tiny like vinyl indie bands and the two biggest bands that she listened to the most were The Cure and The Smiths so that was you know was all of my feelings for those two bands were tied up in the fact that I had like really fallen in love with this girl from college and she loved these bands, so I started wearing black, and, you know, and I, <laughs> yeah, and I hadn't... I, I believe it. And I hadn't, you know, I didn't... Sm- I smoked a little bit. I started smoking in high school, and then I started smoking a lot more because she smoked, and, like, yeah. we would go to diners and talk about music and stuff until 3 o'clock in the wow. morning. Wow, this and, is, And so it was, you know, I mean, I think this is a pretty typ- you, typical story, probably. Yeah, have you thought about m- turning this into an indie movie? Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, if there hadn't been a hundred million other ones exactly like that, but... But yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I had that, that was the first uh, time I fell in love with somebody who ultimately didn't um, return the favor that I ended up still being friends with after the fact. That's the first time I had ever managed to successfully do that. It's probably one of the smartest decisions I ever made. So long after she started dating other people and we stayed friends, we would still drive around and listen to these bands and stuff, and so... I had a really, really strong bond with that music because she was the first girl I fell in love with and stayed loving in a friend way. Um, see, that makes it very different from a typical movie. Yeah. We didn't get together, but we stayed friends, you see? We're yeah. still friends. That's kind of nice. But yeah, so that's the reason why I have really strong feelings about um, both bands. Yeah, the girl I had a crush on in
0: high school, who she had actually lived in England, so I... Because of that, I, I started getting to all her music, which is Blur and Travis and the Stereophonics and all the other lesser Brit pop bands. I
1: guess I think you came out <laughs> came out ahead on this one. Yeah, I mean, no, I feel. I mean, I, I like some of that stuff, yeah. um, but I think that there is an enduring quality to both of these bands. I mean, certainly the Cure, who are you know in 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 a form still together. You know, I mean, yes. obviously most people have left that band. It's mostly just Robert Smith and the bassist, but like. It's they're still out there performing in 2019, which is pretty wild.
0: Yeah. Well, boys don't cry. There was only like the three of them at the time. And I think the bass player immediately left.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the bass player that I'm talking about is the guy that kind of came in after that, but has been around for now, you know, many decades. Yeah. And I was reading this like because, you know, the Cure
0: have had a lot of lineups over the years. And uh, I think their drummer eventually, the drummer on Boys Don't Cry at the very least is not. Yeah. (laughs) Lol. (laughs) Lol. His name is literally Lol. Lol Tallhurst. What, do you, is Lol short for something? It's a great question uh, <laughs> for another podcast. I don't have
1: the answer to that one. Well, uh, he was the drummer at the time. He became the keyboardist when they needed a keyboardist. Yeah, he did quite a bit. I actually, um, and we'll talk about this in more detail, but uh, there was a, uh, a BBC series that had uh, had come out uh, some time ago called Soul Music on BBC4. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the radio station. In case you don't know if you're America-based, you might not know that. But um, they do con- conversations about different songs, and they did an episode about Boys Don't Cry. And um, it's actually a big piece of my ammunition for why this is the superior <coughs> song. But, uh, but Walt Hallhurst... Sort of talked in detail about the experience of creating that song and um, his part in in crafting what the final version of it was. So, if you want to listen to a, real, we'll talk about it a little yeah. bit, but um, Soul Music um, Series Twenty Five Boys Don't Cry um, is really great. It's about twenty five minutes worth of stuff, and it's a worthy mm-hmm. listen. So, what did he say? Like, uh, what did he say? He basically said that they that he came in and like they had that bit where the song slows down and he was he kind of came up with the idea of of making the drums go dun 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 yeah like that was that and they sort of built um the rest of the hook as it were just around like in that thing you
0: do kind of yeah
1: <laughs> sonically that song is very simple but as far as and, and 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 as far as its composition it's really basic too
0: oh yeah it's 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 I, about I can... as
1: straightforward that's the thing that makes these two songs different right, is that Boys Don't Cry for the most part is like so, so, so simple. And uh, Johnny Marr's guitar work on This Charming Man is much more complex. And I would say lyrically, um, one of these people really thought they were a poet. And then the other one I would consider to actually be an artist. But we'll get to that. Oh, jeez. Wow, you're going hard against... <laughs> I'm not messing around, man. Morrissey's a dick. I mean, that's... Look. You don't say. I don't... Yeah, boy, what a what a hot take. Because so many people that like the Smiths also love Morrissey. Everybody uh, uh, loves that
0: guy. You know, it's funny that we're doing yeah, a song called This Charming Man. when we have yeah. to discuss this extremely uncharming man. I mean, versus Boy
1: Who Definitely Does Cry, Robert Smith, so... Yeah, I mean, well, it's interesting because they are both kind of assholes in a way, I suppose. Are they? I, I don't well, know. so Stephen Patrick Morrissey uh, <laughs> is an out-and-out out asshole, like just well, oh, like, he's, he's like a super racist and borderline fascist, maybe
0: one hundred percent fascist. I'm not sure. Look, but like, here,
1: here's the thing: he very in the in the last couple of years, for a guy that really hated David Cameron hmm. or disliked that Cameron got went out and 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 um, yeah, with he hunts used- stags, which is deer. Other than that, I guess he probably didn't really have a huge problem with David Cameron. Johnny Marr did, but Morrissey mostly just has this one thing that made people think he was a liberal, which is that he's a vegetarian.
0: Oh, well, he's also openly, is he openly gay? Actually, I don't, he is he's, he like cl- he's played coy about it like the entire
1: time. He's kind of claimed himself to be asexual. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's said a lot of things over the years about what he is. I mean, he's certainly somebody that, um, it's interesting because he's so um if you look at him he's a suit-wearing guy, he's very masculine in some respects. Well, but I'd... he's sort of he likes to play the hard and the soft uh against each other. He's it's it's such a bummer, right? Cuz like I should love Morrissey. Mm-hmm. I really should be able to like him. Like he's he he's it's a drag because also he's like he's I think he's very attractive. I mean he's a little bit older now, but like I want to be able to like this hot guy in a suit that's also kind of femme-like and also is very coy about his sexuality, especially in This Charming Man, which is ostensibly about kind of being uh, approached by an older gay man.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's an extremely gay song. It like, is. You know, I mean, that that doesn't necessarily make him gay, which I, we can, he, he definitely is, but... Wa- wanting,
1: wanting to have sex with Morrissey should make me feel good instead of. I mean, I have no attraction to him anymore. It's certainly like, over, as the years have gone on, it's become impossible. Like, uh, if somebody said they were still able to be attracted to Morrissey, I, I would try not to begrudge them, but I personally could not possibly. I saw him uh, a live concert, you know,
0: a video from him. I, I want to say like 2004 ish. And it was an extremely Tom Jonesy kind of performance, actually. Like, I think he did take his shirt off and everything, and, like,
1: people were <laughs> screaming for him. And he was not a young man at that point. Yes, that happened. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, at the same time as uh, I was getting into the Smiths and Morrissey, because uh, yeah. Nami uh, was playing, like, just solo Morrissey stuff in the car. She uh, told me, oh, you should watch this documentary, because um, he did that album, Meet His Murder.'" And he also, I guess, had done a documentary. I I didn't bother to look this up because I'm very bad at my profession. Yeah, he's a super vegan animal rights guy. Uh, But yeah, you know, he'd basically done all this stuff and she said, you should watch it. Uh, And this is, I don't think that Nami and I have had a lot of disagreements over over the the 20 some odd years of knowing each other. But um, I would say certainly that as somebody that, I mean, I eat less meat than I used to just because I'm aware that there's an environmental component to it. But like... I like eating red meat. Red meat is tasty. And when someone says you can't, it's bad, here's a documentary about how bad, it makes me want to go out and murder cows. Like it's like maybe that makes me a shitty contrarian, but like Morrissey certainly So that didn't, should
0: make you like Morrissey all the more.
1: I guess. I mean certainly Morrissey trying to push people towards uh, vegetarianism did not work for me. And you know who else it didn't work for? Robert Smith. Oh, is were Have you, they had conflicts, They don't like each other. Well, uh, who
0: could like Morrissey? Like,
1: well, they don't... So, interestingly, they... I was unaware of the fact that um, they had had any kind of... Contacts? Uh, yeah, I had no clue, um, because why would I? It's not really something that you sort of set out to know about, but uh, there was, there was like, a whole bunch of stuff. There are like, a bunch of quotes of the two of them really disliking each other, um, and... Uh, there was some bit about Morrissey saying that um, it was Robert Smith and one other person where they said like if you had a gun and he was like, Oh, I would just like put them in a lineup and shoot them both one with one bullet and then he called Robert Smith a whinge bag. A oh, whinge bag. That's that's a- some that's some British nonsense <laughs> is uh, is what that oh, he's a whinge is. bag. Huh. Oh yeah, I was gonna say like that is. I was gonna say that this matchup is not so much a matchup of like your '80s new wave slash goth slash whatever the hell it is post punk, um, yeah. so much as it is uh, it's <laughs> <versus> <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, But yeah, but uh, I don't. Yes. I
0: don't think uh, Robert Smith does any oz and ooze in in Boys Don't Cry, does he? Uh, yeah. I'm sure. He I, does. I think that's something that came later.
1: I'm sure he must. He's. I mean, he does it all the. That's just his thing. He does that.
0: I mean, he's he's definitely got the voice. He's he's not singing like any one other, but Robert Smith in that in Boys Don't Cry. I I don't. But he's not. They're not quite the Cure yet, as we know them. They're still like this scrappy punk band. And if you if you look for videos of uh, the Cure during that point in their life, the Boys Don't Cry era, they they do not look like the cure at all there's only three of them they don't have robert smith doesn't have the makeup or the hair yet which i mean that's it was like so weird to me actually is is that his real hair uh yeah i believe that it is cuz i was i was watching that uh the cure induction to the rock hall of fame that happened like a few months ago and they were like shooting the little like cure video that they do that little promo and there's like a scene where uh the wig gets snatched right off of him and, like, my mind was blown. It's was like, no.
1: Oh, I thought that, like, he, that that was still, like, just because it's so ridiculous looking. <laughs> yeah. That you would think it would be. Um, in my mind, it goes out, like, the, the bangs go out, like, four feet in front of him. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, at one point, it was certainly like that. Yeah, um, yeah this is great. I'm going to just read the quote because I found it uh, yeah. that, that uh, Robert Smith said about Morrissey. Uh, He's a precious, miserable bastard. He's all the things people think I am. Morrissey sings the same song every time he opens his mouth. At least I've got two songs, The Love, Cats, and Faith. If only people knew how easy it is to be in groups like the Smiths. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Wow. He also said, if Morrissey says not to eat meat, then I'll eat meat. That's how much I hate Morrissey. (laughs) Wow. Um, But yeah, Morrissey had said, um, so the question was, if if I put you in a room with Robert Smith, Mark E. Smith, and a loaded Smith & Wesson, who would bite the bullet first— And Morrissey wrote, I'd line them up so that one bullet penetrated both simultaneously. Robert Smith is a whinge bag. It's rather curious that he began wearing beads at the emergence of the Smiths and has been photographed with flowers. I expect (sighs) he's quite supportive of what we do, but I have never liked the cure, not even the caterpillar. And you're just like, I just, man, I hate Morrissey. So the thing is that like one of them for me, um, when they do biting wit, I'm charmed by them and I think oh that's smart and kind of kind of he's kind of a dick but I still like him Mm -hmm. and that's Robert Smith and then the other one uh I just whenever they speak I hate them more and that's Morrissey (laughs) like long before he embraced Brexit and became one of these um people who was like yeah we should definitely leave because blah 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 uh Islam, but whatever. Yeah. Whatever nonsense it is that he's about it. Because he doesn't think he's a racist, but like, um, respectfully, um, oh, yeah. Morrissey, gets... you're a fucking racist. Oh yeah, he keeps... Uh, getting... We're losing listeners at this point, but it's, I mean, like, I'll I'll, oh, I'll take it over this one. I'll take the L. I do <laughs> not like Morrissey, and I didn't like him before, but I really don't like this. Uh,
0: you know, let's, let's say that Morrissey is a horrible racist is not like this controversial opinion unless you're Morrissey who gets very angry anytime you suggest that he's an awful racist with a co- long long history of constantly saying awful racist things he gets really upset when you anyone says that in fact he's in the news like right now like in the couple of weeks between episodes when we picked this episode he got he's in the news again cuz he was on Jimmy Fallon or something wearing a button that turned out to be like what was it like a i don't know some crazy far right uh, horrible monsters Uh, some political party that no one should be associated with. It's
1: actually the one... Because the thing is, like, him being obnoxious about um, not eating meat didn't bother me until I found out that um, when he was doing shows in New York, um, no one was allowed to eat meat, period. Oh, yeah, he's been doing that. But, you know... He can't go get a hot dog from the... But that's crazy to me, right? Like, I look, I accepted it. If he had come in and said, look, the crafty has to be vegetarian or has to be vegan or whatever, Mm -hmm. I would say fine. I don't like, you know, that's that's his prerogative. It's his show. If he wants the crafty, if he wants the stuff that's on in that space where he's going to perform to be a certain way, that's fine. But what he actually said was it doesn't – you know, if you're the janitor – and yeah. he catches wind that while you're working on his show as the guy that sweeps up, uh, if you went out and eat a hot dog at the corner, uh, you're fired. That's uh, that's shitty. And fuck him. Yeah. Like, come on, man. Like, let people, like, that's just, it's, such a, it's so far. Like, I understand that we're living in 2019 and people have a tendency to kind of be this way. But, man, <laughs> just let people have a hot dog.
0: Just chill. Oh, you know, that's a funny thing. I, I knew this was going to happen when we picked this, uh, picked this uh, song versus song. No discussion of anything Morrissey, no matter how tangentially related, it always becomes about his shitty politics and his sh- shitty personality.
1: Like the thing is, like, so, yeah, I told you there was a, yeah. before we started recording. I said I found an article where um, some right wing publication was talking about how the quote "woking dead" <laughs> had come from Morrissey. Like, this was new, and how, you know, Morrissey is this left-wing guy, and I don't think that he's a left-wing guy, I just think he's a narcissist who thinks that whatever his beliefs are are 100% correct all the time.
0: No, like, this this is not new, like, I, I think there's, like, a thing in, like, 1984 or 1985 where, you know, he's just doing an interview and he decides, you know what, reggae is racist against white people, or something like that.
1: Um. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we've been talking for almost 25 minutes, and there's some good stuff in here, but... Yeah. I think there's a limit to how much we can talk about Morrissey's politics. Yeah. Suffice to say, we agree that he sucks. Yes, not as, a nice guy. As do most Smiths fans, I believe. Yeah, let's talk about um, this charming man
0: for a minute. Oh, as, right. as a song. Okay, l- well, let me say this: when I, you know, when I picked this, picked my side of this, I, t- I tell myself I am not here to defend Morrissey. I'm here to defend the poor three other members of the Smiths who deserve better. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, especially Johnny Marr,
1: especially and because
0: sure. uh, so much of this song's success
1: is because of the work that he did on it.
0: Yeah, and you know I'm not going to discount Morrissey's. I'll, I'll get into Morrissey's contribution later, but I really like matter of fact. There's only one reason why I picked this song over "Boys Don't Cry," which is a great song also, and it's the guitar. And "Boys Don't Cry" has great guitar also, but like that, uh, the just the opening notes of this song, I just get up and dance like a, like Jack Black and High Fidelity, like. <laughs> Like yes, this is my jam. I'm so ha- my favorite thing I ever heard Johnny Marr say because you know he's in he was a guitar guy in the middle of the '80s when everyone was doing that middley 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 stuff. Yep, and his his only comment on I ever heard from him was like it's like you think they play all those notes because they can't find the right one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, Johnny Marr has always known exactly what note he's going to play. He's never had to search for the right note. Yeah, there's a
1: real precision to the work that he does.
0: Yeah, and there's a there's a lot of notes in that opening intro also.
1: Yeah, I, I before we started recording, um, broke out my guitar to play Boys Don't Cry, and then you said, now play this charming man. And I said, <laughs> no, I've been playing the guitar for 27 goddamn years, and uh, I never sat down to learn how to play that, and I definitely don't know how. Yeah, that's... But whereas I've, I'd never played "Boys Don't Cry" until today, I'd actually never played it on the guitar, and, and it's you know it's like A, B minor, D flat minor, D, and then back down, and that's yeah. it.
0: No, there. "Boys Don't Cry" the chord structure, just going by like the the numbers of it, it's one, two, three, four, 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 four three, three, two, two one. one. Yeah, yeah. It's it's that basic.
1: That is. That is, I would argue, one of its two core appeals. <laughs> but yeah, this charming man is a
0: lot more complicated, and it's a Morrissey certainly uh, takes to this kind of music very well. It's a very arch song, I guess, very witty and clever. Like I, I read, like him talking about it. Well, basically, he just felt alienated by the gay scene at the time. So this was been like post disco, pre AIDS, I guess, or maybe not quite pre AIDS, but AIDS hadn't control trolled the narrative yet it was probably there so yeah it was creeping in but it was a very you know in your face kind of time very you know with all the frankie goes to hollywood like boom 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 i want you in my my room or or is that the the vanguard boy song there's a similar 80s song goes boom 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 come back to my room or something like that like people were like starting to be unafraid to be publicly gay Well, you know, Morrissey, I can just imagine him in his little cravat going, oh, how vulgar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's so. So he wrote this like very literary, very coded gay from like the the 20s or something kind of narrative about being picked up by an older man or, you know, when they have to be like coy about it and uh, clever. And, I, you know, he says, you know, like, hold on, he's like, I hate it when people talk to me about sex in a trivial way. And I, you know, I, I do kind of get that. If if I were gay, I, I think I would be that kind of gay, hopefully without the horrible politics, but I probably wouldn't enjoy the clubs either. And, you know, there is something a little more romantic about it, I guess, when you have to keep it under wraps like they had to did back when whenever this is supposed to be taking place. He's using all, like, the courtly dialogue. On a hillside
1: desolate. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, gosh. It's... You you said he's a wannabe poet. I think he's a pretty decent poet. I mean, look, he's uh, he's a sight better than Jim
1: Morrison. Let's put it that way. <laughs> oh, that's a, that's one we're gonna have to do at some point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, whatever is the other option is what I'll be taking. Sugar, sugar by the Archies versus Light My Fire by the. <laughs> literally, literally, goddamn anything. I Jim Morrison. Gosh. Anyway, that's a that's another podcast. Yes, another episode yes, it is. I'm not
0: an unpretentious guy, let's say. So, like, when he he, here's another thing he said is like, he's like, I just want to revive some involvement with language people no longer use. Like, people's in the daily scheme of things, people's language is so frighteningly limited. And if you use a word with more than ten letters, it's absolute snobbery. And you know, I like to think of myself as a smart guy. So, there is a. Maybe not the best part of me, but there is a part of me that does relate to that. Like, yes, why can't we be clever and arch and and witty and Oscar Wilde-ish? Not that the Cure are non-pretentious. They did write Killing an Arab, but...
1: They did. That was their (laughs) first hit. Yes. Um, Surprisingly, and yet does not appear on anything subsequently because there were... So there's a story about that.
0: Is there? I'm curious about that. I wanted to listen to it while I was... You know taking notes for this and i couldn't find it on spotify so
1: the the story is more an after the fact thing which is that um they went they went to perform at a concert and these skinheads were in the front row oh my god um and there was a guy with a giant sort of like nazi-esque eagle tattoo and they just thought of him as eagle guy and he was the leader uh of the group and they went out and they i think they played uh they went out and played that song. They played Killing an Arab, and like they liked that. That is not an endorsement of Arab but, killing. Right, but they thought, well, okay, let's see what happens um, if we play Boys Don't Cry. Uh-huh. And the eagle tattoo guy was stoic for about a minute and then um, realized that the song was great and just started dancing around um, and got really into it, and so everybody else followed suit, and they thought, well, this is sort of the, the power of this song is it has the ability to sort of... Even uh, make the Nazi like (laughs) have like a (laughs) calm down and just do do a dance, Um, which I think is kind of brilliant. That's part again. That's part of that uh, that BBC Four series. I mean, that is
0: that is the power of uh, Boys Don't Cry. Maybe it's a really easy song to get into. Although
1: I hope they followed that with Nazi goths. Fuck off! But yeah, I mean they're not those guys, and that's but that's the thing, right? Um, What I find fascinating about um, Robert Smith and why it is that we're sort of in the position where we don't have to talk about him too extensively is that he doesn't really make political statements and he doesn't talk too much about his music, honestly. Like I've seen interviews with him and he's very dodgy about it. He doesn't really want to talk about it. He's one of those guys that kind of feels that the art sort of speaks for itself, but he definitely considers himself to be an artist, but he doesn't like to comment on it as much as Morrissey does. You know, that's a funny thing.
0: Like, I was as I was doing this, I was like, I realized I don't know anything about The Cure as like people. I know what they look like and I know what their songs sound like. But, you know, you don't hear about them like in the news ever. There's no like if they made it behind the music on it, you wouldn't know what to expect. Like they keep themselves pretty low key for, you know, being the, uh, you know, the poster children for dramatic music.
1: Yeah, what was really interesting um, for me, and this will sort of, I suppose, lead into talking about Boys Don't Cry, but um, they got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, this year. Uh, It just happened in Mm -hmm. terms of when this podcast is being recorded. Yeah. And, uh, you know, everybody's a little bit different when they go to accept the fact they've been inducted. Yeah. Uh, And Robert Smith got up and he did uh, three things. One... He shouted out every single person that had ever been part of the band before. Which is a big deal because there is so much drama that happens at the Rock Hall of Fame because most of these guys are never on good terms anymore. Yeah, and I don't yeah. think he is on good terms with all those people uh, yeah. necessarily, but if he if he was or wasn't, um, he's never said. Really, the most I've ever seen him say about people leaving the band is, you know, he expects everybody to do things on his schedule. When he's ready to make new music, it's time to make new music. And if other people are having a band having a different band or if they're like you know like having a family or doing something else Mm -hmm. then his position is okay um then we'll get somebody else in but i don't think he takes it personally i think it's just that he has an expectation that he needs to make the music when it's time to make the music and that's it but he shouted out anybody that had ever been in the band before um and then he talked about all the people that were currently in the band that was thing number two Mm -hmm. and then my favorite part was that You know, he, he said uh, that he had nothing else that he really had to say and that he would just use the rest of the time to play more songs. And then somebody in the audience shouted out, um, we love you. And then he said, we love you too. That's the point. And then he went and played, I think, probably an extra song or two on top of what they had originally planned to do. And that is the reason why Robert Smith is infinitely superior to Morrissey immediately. (laughs) That entire, that's his ethos, that that's how he operates, really kind of says it all. Um, But what I find very interesting is that even though he has so little to say that he's so reserved in his speech there, Boys Don't Cry is a song that's kind of about that. Um, so again, um, uh, not to keep citing the same thing, but the BBC four radio thing that I listened to had this woman sort of talking about, uh, her name is Pornabel. Uh, porna bell. She was talking about her husband who had committed suicide and, uh, she was talking about his love of the band and his inability to sort of cry publicly and 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 publicly emote while he was dealing with his drug addiction uh Uh, and lol Tolhurst, who as you point out was a drummer and later the keyboard player um the whole thing about that song is that it's a very british even though robert smith himself uh aligns more with um the french apparently he's very he's very big in france Huh. Uh, he lived in Provence or something like that, but yeah, but like yeah, yep. like people really love him in France. Uh, I guess like his sort of got sensibility, like there's something yeah. very French about. He that. does look a bit like a mime. He does have that vibe to him. But in the time that he grew up, in the time that most of the founding members of the Cure and even some of the later members uh, were growing up in Britain um, in the sixties and seventies, it was still very much that stiff upper lip, you know, where men were not yeah. supposed to have an emotion. And what I find interesting is that you know, this charming man has a certain adult sensibility to it, right? Like there's something very mature about that song. Yeah. But I think that Boys Don't Cry is about how men remain stunted emotionally because, at least in Britain, they are expected to not share their emotions and as a result um, are unable to. And so they remain very immature in this one particular way. And that it sort of can impact the rest of their lives in these huge huge seismic ways and so boys don't cry is really about that and uh all the stories that i heard listening to this radio program were about how people had sort of had to sort of deal with that in one way or another and how this very simple song um sonically that it's and 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 from a a, um, a composition standpoint actually lyrically has this really profound and important message that I mean maybe in 2019 we're not so concerned I think that that boys are allowed to have feelings now um, so I don't know how much of an impact it has today but like at the time and I think even into the 80s and 90s it's it's still quite profound
0: Well that's that's true of like both of uh, the Smiths and the Cure, that uh, you know making it okay for men to be vulnerable and one of them to be a
1: horrible vegan racist. But it always comes back to that. I'm sorry. Yeah, No, I get it. <laughs> but I think that ultimately when I look at it, I the reason why I'm so attracted to Boys Don't Cry as a song is that it's so simple um, sonically and, and, and from a composition standpoint, and yet um, what it's actually trying to say is something that has such profound ripples. And I think that that dichotomy is what attracts me so much to it. It's a funny thing, Uh,
0: Boys Don't Cry, I I mostly don't think of it on those terms, I'm sure it does that for someone, For, for me it's just like this great classic pop song that's, you know, just this great, simple, like, we're talking about, like, Happy Together or Brown Eyed Girl or something like that, but it is, like, I guess it's about toxic masculinity before people had ever heard of that term
1: yeah, in it's, 1980. It's brilliant. I really I believe that it is. And that's Robert Smith's whole shtick, um, is that he really is big on saying, I'm going to create a song, like not always, but a lot of the time, he'll do these songs that are designed to seem poppy and upbeat, yeah. but the lyrics are actually really dire. <laughs> yeah, That's his thing. And I don't know how many, I'm sure other people had done that before him, but... It's certainly something that he did, maybe better than almost anybody else ever.
0: It's it's also a funny thing because I I I simply cannot imagine Robert Smith like stiff upper lipping it like.
1: (laughs) No, but he but he grew up in that culture, and also you know he had um, he and his his slightly younger sister um, were had quite late. Like his parents had already had two other children, like ten plus years ahead. I think of them, so you know, like they're. Robert Smith got into the Beatles more because his older siblings were like already going to the concerts and it was like around like 1964 or whatever it was because mm-hmm. they were teenagers and he had, you know, was like fresh born. Like he was, I think they're, I think they're like 10 years old and him or whatever it is. Yeah. But like, I think having older parents and older siblings, like however he might have ultimately expressed himself once he became a public artist. Mm -hmm. um i do think he was very much raised in that culture and i think that uh, as a result boys don't cry is so much about him trying to escape that and i think i mean obviously successfully so like he's done a pretty good job like i think again like if you watch him in interviews he is very um reserved
0: yeah Yeah.
1: it's interesting that that's how he does it like that's that's his way right is that
0: uh, yeah i guess i don't know anything about robert smith maybe he is in fact
1: a completely stoic No emotion guy off stage Like, I mean like he's Very aware I think Of whatever dichotomy he's dealing with Cause yeah. like you know he's married but he doesn't want to have Kids ever and at this point I mean He probably won't he's pretty old Yeah. Uh, sorry Robert Smith please, yeah. please don't take offense I also am not terribly young anymore I'm probably not having kids but He is like one of those people that looks at it And is kind of he has a weird resentment About existing <laughs> <laughs> Which is fascinating because he's been so successful. well again, when he yeah. got inducted into the Hall of Fame, he came out and like they had, you know, you know how they always have those interviewers out there who are like extremely effusive and very positive, and they want to talk to you about, yeah, you know, you just got inducted how do you feel about that? you know like yeah. you know that very like, I'm going to Disney World kind of thing right. And she was like, "Are you as excited as I am about this?" And he was like, "No, I guess that's probably bad <laughs> And I forget, he said like a bunch of weird stuff about it. But I think what he said is that despite all of his best attempts, he somehow wound up in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame anyway. (laughs) I think that's what's interesting is that all of his emotional outlet comes from the music. And I don't, from what I can tell, you know, like this is not a guy that goes on social media and talks about his feelings a lot. Yeah. So it really comes from the music. So Boys Don't Cry is sort of his way of expressing that in a song that he then gets to go and, play and they're like you know they're out and like playing and stuff still and very recently they were they were at like some castle doing a concert and i think yeah. boys don't cry was like the last song they played on like their second or third encore they play for like two and a half hours <laughs> and it was i think it was you know like if not the last song then like the second to last song they played and to this day you know there are people that were there who are also older that were do you know having this hugely positive response to that it's still hugely, hugely, hugely um, influential for them. And I think for him, too, which is I I think is amazing. Like, I wonder what Morrissey is like when he goes out and plays this charming man. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like for him, is it just like robotic? Is it just because, um, you know, Johnny Marr doesn't even consider it to be one of their oh, best no, songs. Oh, no, no.
0: He said, uh, yeah, I got that quote here, too. He says like, no, this. he says none of them like it particularly he says you know it wasn't a band favorite still isn't he says he winces when he hears it now it's like it it only tells the shiny side of the story It in no way epitomizes what was
1: good about the band in the long term i i can't believe that you were the one that that broke out an accent
0: it's usually <laughs> me doing the terrible accent i have uh, no idea what johnny marr sounds like so i don't even know what i'm doing so you went for it i appreciate yeah. the hustle no i hold on I, let me see if i can do morrissey I, I really like the idea of the male voice being quite vulnerable, of it being being taken and slightly manipulated rather than there being this heavy machismo
1: thing that just bores everybody.
0: That's what I imagine he sounds Ooh. like when he does. T- <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's funny uh, that, that they make those sounds because I'll tell you, like, that's whenever Morrissey talks, I think of the Pac-Man <laughs> sound when he dies. <laughs> that's him. Anyway, yeah. uh, so we've been talking for over 40 minutes. Let's... Let's find out what okay, the well, what well, the, well, res, well. What the result, or whatever else you want to say before we find out the results.
0: All right. Let
1: me, let me ask you this. What do you, think, what do you think won? I genuinely don't know. I actually think that um, if it was just song versus song, truly, mm-hmm. if people weren't taking Morrissey into account, I I do believe, even though I prefer Boys Don't Cry, I think that because um, the composition, uh, because of Johnny Marr's work, I think that this Charming Man would definitely win. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think taking into account, I, I, my guess is that Boys Don't Cry will have barely eked out. Either way, I think it's going to be really tight.
0: Yeah. Well, um, let me say this. Before we, you know, yes, I really love uh, the, the, the guitar work on This Charming Man, but
1: I also really love the guitar work on Boys Don't Cry. That thing just shreds. It's a great me. song. I mean, like, look, it's a great pop song. Like, I would never, I'm not trying to take anything away. I just think that the yeah. complexity of this This Charming Man really comes through. I think it is superior in that regard
0: all right well uh here's uh here's how it came out and uh before i say i want to say we we didn't get a whole lot of votes for this one it was like wow yeah it there was were like, a lot of comments oh yes the Well oh, that's just like the the cure and the smiths in general they're they've never been the biggest band in the world like compared yeah. to like bon jovi or something but those who know them really care fair <laughs> but uh yeah we got usually get about 500 votes we only got about 300 this time interesting all yeah. right so, uh, but it, the way it shook out for a total of 179 to 135, with a 57% of the vote, Boys Don't Cry does win. Wow. Oh, 57% to 43%, which is one of the
1: closer ones we've had. Yeah. I'm actually surprised it wasn't closer. I thought it was going to be like yeah. within, a, within two to three points, honestly. Well, maybe if stupid, stupid
0: Morrissey wasn't right in the news right now.
1: Yeah, I do think
0: that's probably the thing that really decides it.
1: But I think. It would have been a lot closer and could have genuinely gone either way. I really do believe that Morrissey reminding everybody of what what a bell end, just to to bring out a British term. (laughs) What's a bell end? I don't know. That's Anyway, the point is that he's, yeah, he's just, I wish that he would stop. I wish that he would take a page out of Robert Smith's book and just let the music do the talking. Yes. But yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad I think that ultimately Boys Don't Cry deserves that victory. I do believe that. Yeah.
0: All right. Uh, I do had some some of the uh, the comments here. I w- I did want to read. Go ahead, please. Okay, this one comes from someone just by the initials A.M. says uh, I really love this charming man and don't have the same sort of sentimental connection with Boys Don't Cry, but Boys Don't Cry is a bop and also Morrissey is terrible.
1: I saw that one.
0: Yes. All right. Jake Water says they're both good songs. I have to give the nod to The Cure though for not having an awful fascist asshole for a lead singer. All right. <laughs> Okay, Ethan Michael Thomas says, "Screw Morrissey." Yep, <laughs> the end.
1: Screw Morrissey. Yep, that seems right. And they they pretty much all do this. <laughs> yeah, there's a there is a lot of that. Um, I well in in the defense of those folks, I did go on Twitter right before we recorded this by a couple hours and said like, <laughs> "Hey, we're going to record this episode. These are the two songs. Please explain why you hate Morrissey." <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, here's one uh, for this charming man. He says. I went for this charming man, but I want to make clear that this is not an endorsement of Morrissey. (laughs) Yep, sounds right. (laughs) Okay, one about not about Morrissey. It says, uh, I will say this in the defense of the Smiths song. There is an amazing Facebook page called, quote, Shiba Inu videos to the intro of this charming man by the Smiths. And I went and looked up. That's the the doge. Yes, Yes, that is the Doge Dog. And I went and looked, and they are, in fact, nothing but short videos of Shiba Inu set to the intro of This Charming Man by the Smiths. And it is wonderful and adorable. And uh, so check that out. It is, isn't in fact, Shiba Inu videos to the intro of This Charming Man by the Smiths on Facebook. Good work. And uh, one last one uh, from Daniel Hill. And this is uh, really bizarre to me. And I wish I knew more about this. He says, weird how Morrissey has such far-right views
1: when he's so loved by the Latino community. Is that I, true? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I cannot speak to that, but um, it's possible. But,
0: the, but then again, that's the story of pretty much all. It's weird that he's liked by anyone when he's so awful. Yes, <laughs> there you go. But his music is so good. Uh, I've, I've never heard a Morrissey song I disliked, honestly,
1: except for How Soon Is Now when I was too young to hear it. I um my favorite Morrissey song is Hairdresser on Fire. Is that a real song? Yes, it is.
0: Uh, I guess mine is uh, the more you ignore me, the closer I get.
1: That is a great song, and uh, um, I guess and it was is... my favorite until I heard Hairdresser on Fire, which is so <laughs> ridiculous that I have to love it. It what? is. It became my favorite song the very first time I heard it, and that's another one that I heard because of Nami. So,
0: what's what's your favorite Cure song? Is it? Is it? Friday? I'm in love.
1: Uh, I yeah. I think it probably is, just because it's the first one that I heard, and because it's such a perfect pop song. Mm-hmm. I guess I can't think of many pop songs that are as perfectly conceived as that one. Uh, mine is in between days. That's a that's an all timer for me. Completely eight. fair. Uh, in conclusion,
0: Morrissey is bad. Ready for the next one? Wait. Is it what I think it is? No, I'm I, I'm picking this one. Oh,
1: okay, <laughs> all right. Oh, we, we we
0: just did one of yours. Oh, okay. okay.
1: We've been doing yours for a while. I just thought that we were launching into the hardest one of all time. But okay. No, we're not. We're not doing that one yet. Okay, great. Get ready. Eventually, <laughs> there's there is one that I came up with that is going to be some kind of fight. All right. But what is this? What is the next one? Which uh, I'm sure is also very good. In tribute to. Uh, our
0: next movie review, which is going to be the the yesterday movie, I decided it's time to do a Beatles versus Stones. So it is going to be, and this is my pick, "Let It Be" versus "You Can't Always Get What You Want." Oh, Dan is has Danny has his face in his hands. So <laughs> I am
1: a Beatles fan over a Stones fan. Uh huh. However, I'm a Cure fan over the Smiths man, but. I went I'm, with what I'm, I went with. I'm not a big Let It Be fan. Really? Oh. It's fine. It's fine. <sighs> uh, keep in mind, you know, that, uh, gosh, if I start talking about this, I won't stop. Yeah, we're going to uh, have to save it. But. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm probably going to end up taking um, You Can't Always Get What You Want. All right, well. if, I, if I have a choice in it, you mm-hmm. know, you can choose first. If you were going to take something else. No, I was absolutely going to take Let It Be. Okay. Like, I mean, it's a great song. I just, um, Let It Be is weirdly and tied to The Long and Winding Road for me. And that is, I would say that that is my most hated Beatles song. Ah, boy! So, yeah, uncharacteristically, despite being one of the, being a real Beatles stand from way back, uh-huh. um, I am gonna yes, I'm gonna do it. I'm am taking I'm taking the stones. All right. Well,
0: be tuned next week. Uh, we're, we do this what every second and fourth Wednesday is that every what we every second
1: do? and fourth Wednesday. And here's another really important piece of information because this is the first. Um, Free episode uh, since the last time we did a bonus episode. There are now two bonus episodes, uh, one yep. for Ugly Dolls and one for Rocket Man. Uh, yeah, we're going to watch a movie every month, pro- preferably pop music related. Although, who knows? Maybe we'll just go nuts. Yeah, but who can say? But yeah, probably pop music related. Every single month there will be one of those. There are now two available. Uh, yeah. If you want to listen to those... Uh, the only way to do that is to subscribe on Patreon, to support us on Patreon. So yep. if you've got a couple of bucks and have an interest in doing that, I actually think that it's only going to become more and more worth it because we're going to keep making more and more of those episodes.
0: Yep. So uh, go to Patreon, song versus song, song vs. song, and uh, toss a couple of bucks our way if you feel like it. Catch you next time.
1: Bye. Bye. Mm-hmm.